0: If you have your copy of the scriptures, let me encourage you to turn to Leviticus chapter 5. Leviticus chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, is where we will be this morning. Well, Friday was an opportunity to spend, spend, spend. And even before Friday, right? I mean, since the beginning of October, you've been getting emails about Black Friday deals, Black Friday deals that have lasted all month. How many of you took advantage of Black Friday deals? Anybody? Yeah a few a few folks i know some of our ministry leaders took advantage of some of those deals to address some needs here at the church the retailers know that this is the season of giving which means it's the season of spending right well Our offering that we come to today, the sacrifice that we come to today as we make our way through the book of Leviticus, has to deal with making payment or making restitution. It is a payment far more than any payment that was made on Black Friday. Let's read Leviticus 5 beginning in verse 14 and then continuing into the first part of chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, For a guilt offering he shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy things and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done though he did not know it then realizes his guilt he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering and the priest shall make atonement for him but for the mistake that he made unintentionally and he shall be forgiven it is guilt offering he has indeed incurred guilt before the lord the lord spoke to moses saying if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter "...of deposit or security, or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor, or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery, or what he got by oppression, or the deposit that was committed to him, or the lost thing that he found, or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full." and shall add a fifth to it, and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do, and thereby become guilty." As I mentioned a moment ago, and if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know this already, we've been working our way through the book of Leviticus. And this morning we come to the fifth and final description or introductory description of the various specified offerings that the Lord called for. And here we come to particularly the end of the section where the Lord is instructing the offerer the one who would bring these offerings. Next week, we will see additional instructions for all of these offerings, specifically for the priests. But as we come to this offering, as with all of the other offerings, there is good news to be found, to be heard in these instructions related to the guilt offering. And so that's what I want us to hear. That's my prayer that we would hear the good news of the guilt offering. And in order to do that, there are three things for us to observe. First, we need to think briefly about the name of this offering. The name. But then after Addressing the name of the offering, we should look at the occasions of this offering. The occasions on which, in this passage, the offering is called for. And then, the opportunities presented by those occasions and by this description. So the name, the occasions... And the opportunities will help us to hear and to respond to the good news of the guilt offering. Well, what about this name? It's a curious name, isn't it? The guilt offering. Because all of the offerings, except for the grain offering, were in one way or another... Intended to address sin and problems associated with sin. And one of the chief problems associated with all of our sin, all of our rebellion against God, is the guilt before God that our sin incurs. Romans 6.23 puts it this way, the wages, the cost of sin is death in our rebellion against god we are guilty of transgressing of disobeying him and his commands so in one sense the burnt offering the peace offering the sin or the purification offering which we looked at over the past couple of weeks as well as this offering all do address in one way or another guilt or freedom from guilt that god provides but the word that is translated here guilt guilt offering does sometimes mean explicitly guilt consider genesis 42:21 as Joseph's brothers are reflecting on what they have done to their brother. Remember, as they've put him into the pit, they're deceiving their father, they sell him off into slavery. This is how the brothers reflect. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. In that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. We are guilty. We are at fault. And they are talking about experiencing the weight of their guilt. But then also notice over in chapter 4, verse 13. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 13. As we back up into the sin offering, we find this word again. If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they do any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt. What is translated there, realize their guilt, is that same word that's used in chapter 5 for guilt offering. Remember, as we worked our way through the sin offering, there were different categories based on people. Here we're reading about the entire congregation sinning, or if a leader sins, or if a common person sins as you work your way through that sin offering, that phrase, realize their guilt, occurs every time. So even, again, the sin offering or the purification offering has something to do with addressing this notion of the guilt associated with a rebellion against God. It's not what is translated as the guilt offering that is exclusively dealing with the domain of our guilt before God Leviticus 5:15 Leviticus 5:15 If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock valued in silver shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. Now, in the ESV, this word guilt offering is a bit masked. In that, the word actually occurs twice in the verse, but you only hear it once. Why is that? Well, if you're reading the New American Standard, you will see guilt offering twice in the verse. But the translators of the ESV made a decision. They made an interpretive decision that actually points us in the direction of the emphasis of this offering. What is the decision? Well, what is the word? the middle of verse 15, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation, compensation, his repayment. That is that same word that at the end of the verse is the word for guilt offering. But notice one other place. As we're trying to think through the name of this offering and what's in the name of this offering, turn over to Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5. Just the next book after the book of Leviticus. Numbers chapter 5, beginning in verse 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. But if the man has no next of kin... To whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for the wrong shall go to the Lord for the priest, in addition to the ram of atonement with which atonement is made for him. And every contribution, all the holy donations of the people of Israel with which they bring to the priest shall be his. That word, restitution, it's the same word for guilt offering back in Leviticus 5 and 6. So you're saying, okay, Pastor Greg, we see these different verses. What's the point? The point of this is the following. Our English translations distort or or misguide us slightly on the purpose of this offering because it is not simply confined to dealing with the guilt that comes associated with with a rebellion against God. This is an offering of repayment, of restitution for a wrong done. So a better name for this offering, I'll still use guilt offering as we work our way along, but probably a better name for this offering is the repayment offering or the reparation offering. Reparation just meaning repayment for an offense committed. That is the focus of this offering, and we see that in the occasions of this offering. We have laid out for us in broad strokes, depending on how you count, two or three categories for which this offering is called for here, this offering of repayment. The first one is there beginning in verse 15. If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock valued in silver shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing, and add a fifth to it, and give it to the priest. So here is the first occasion. A sin in one of the holy things. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about those words, common and holy. And remember, what is what is described or referred to as holy are those things that have been set apart "...for service to the Lord." So, how might an Israelite unintentionally sin in the holy things? Well, one way could have been in the grain offering and the peace offering. Remember, in the grain offering and the peace offering, this also applies to the sin offering and this guilt offering, as we'll see next week in chapters 6 and 7, But part of those offerings were set aside for the priests to eat. And they were set aside as holy things. And in particular, as most holy things, because they were the priest's contribution. So one of the ways that an Israelite could sin against those holy things is by mistakenly eating part of what was devoted to the priests. And thereby, he is guilty because he has done what should not have been done. That was not to be his. It was to be the priest. And so by eating, he has profaned those things that were set apart for the priest. Set apart for service to the Lord in feeding the priest. And so what was required? Well, there were two things that were required for repayment. First, there is this ram that had to be brought, an older male lamb that had to be brought and sacrificed. That was the animal sacrifice. But it wasn't just the animal that had to be sacrificed, but whatever it was that was profaned had to be restored and 20% added to it. So if he ate what was set aside for the priest, he would have to restore what had been eaten and an additional one-fifth to the priest. So there was the animal and there was the repayment plus 20% more of whatever had been profane. This was one instance where this repayment or guilt offering was required. But also, in verses 17 and following, we read of another occasion. If anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, and so on. Now, here there is... Uncertain sin, but specifically uncertain sin in the holy things. If you were here with us last week when we talked about this sin offering, or maybe this afternoon you want to go back and compare the language. The language here in verse, verse 17 of chapter 5 is very similar to a number of spots in the sin offering, and it causes the reader to wonder, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference seems to be that the focus here is on sin against the holy things. And without getting into the details, if you have questions, we can talk about this after the service or this week. I'd be happy to get into, get into a conversation with you about it and think more about this. But basically, here's the situation. A person thinks that he might have sinned against one of the holy things. He's not certain, but his conscience is pricked. That seems to be the emphasis of the phrase realizes his guilt in verse 17. It's not just a cognitive awareness, oh wait, I sinned against the holy things. It's a sense of I think I might have sinned against the holy things, and then he shall bear his iniquity, seems to imply he, he has some sort of suffering that's going on and he's connecting the dots. I think I may have sinned against the Lord's holy things and that seems to be why this affliction, either an internal unsettledness of soul or some physical or other affliction is coming upon him, And he's concerned, I might have sinned against the Lord's holy things, and that's why this is going on. But he can't pinpoint it. This was a way in which, by God's grace, his conscience could be cleared. By offering this repayment offering in the event that maybe possibly I sinned against the Lord's holy things, and I just don't realize it. He could offer this offering. So, known sin against the Lord's holy things, uncertain sin against the Lord's holy things, but also another set of instances begins at the beginning of chapter 6. And these are what I'm titling deceptive promises. Deceptive promises. John Hartley, in his commentary on Leviticus, observes this about this section of offenses. Really, verses 2-5 through five of chapter 6. All of these cases, all of these instances involve getting control of something that belongs to someone else through cunning schemes or deception. Using cunning schemes or deception to obtain something from someone else. The first instance, notice verse 2. If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor, there's the deception. In a matter of deposit or security, so deceiving in deposit or security. What is meant by deposit or security? Well, there were, as one commentator observed, there there were no banks in ancient Israel. So, for safekeeping, if a person was traveling, they may give to a neighbor or to a friend some treasure. To hold for them while they traveled. And when they returned from their travel, they would go to their friend or their relative and say, That deposit that I gave to you, may I have it back. If the individual says, You know what? It was stolen while you're gone, while you were gone. And I don't know what happened to it. I don't, I don't know where it is. But that is a lie. That would be a sin against God the Lord, and against the individual in a matter of deposit. What about a matter of security? Someone loans to his fellow Israelite an amount of money, and something is given as collateral until the loan is repaid. Well, what should happen? When that loan is paid off, the collateral should be returned. The security should be returned. You know what? somebody took it. I don't know where it is. It's gone. I'm sorry. I can't return it to you. Even though you have repaid your loan, I can't give you back that security because it's gone. That would be an instance of deception in a matter of security. What about deception through robbery? Deception through robbery. That would simply be taking something from someone and the other person not knowing it. Simply taking something from a neighbor or a friend, and they don't know it. Guilty. But notice, it's not just this kind of deception. Or if he has oppressed his neighbor. If he is opp- what is this oppression? Uh, there could be a few different ways that one might oppress his fellow Israelite, but one example would be a failure to repay for work done a failure to pay wages for work done. And they'd have to go to the, the elders or to the court and say, he promised me this and he didn't pay me. The person who was supposed to pay could say, well, I did repay. I promise I, I did repay him. And it's his word. It's one word against another. There's no paper trail of transactions Right There's no logging on to your bank account and showing where it was that you transferred the funds or opening up your Venmo app. See, I sent him the funds. It was one person's word against the other. Oppressing by withholding what was rightfully another person or even twisting the law in order to get from someone that which was theirs but also he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? Find something that was lost. Hey, I, I lost my sheep. He got out of the pen. Did you find him? Nope. Haven't seen him. You might go look that way. Walk over to my shed and there's the, the sheep that was that was lost. Finding something that was lost and lying about it. Deception. In all of these, in all of these, notice how they are described back up in verse 2. If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord... What do you notice about all of these instances that we've just read? Deposit, security, robbery, extortion, lying about something that was lost. They're all sin against another person. But here they are characterized as a sin against the Lord. Why? If a person has been defrauded... How is that a sin against the Lord? Well, there are three ways in which this could be a sin against the Lord. One is that all sin, all breaking of God's commands is a sin against the Lord. Whether another person is involved or not, whether there's some sort of harm that can be connected or identified or not, doesn't matter. It's all sin against the Lord. But moreover, when there is a sin against another person, what has just happened? If I have lied to you, what has just happened? I have not only sinned against the Lord, I have sinned against one of His image bearers. And so this too is a sin against the Lord. But also, and probably primarily the focus here, is that there is a false oath that is taken. No, I didn't. Take that deposit. I'm not withholding that security. I didn't steal anything. No, I didn't find anything that was lost and fail to return it. And with God as my witness, this is the truth. That is the breach against the Lord. Ultimately, it is taking the Lord's name in vain. It is claiming the Lord as your witness, as my witness, when what is being witnessed to is a lie. This is a serious thing. But friends, do you see God's grace in this? Because what does He provide? He provides even for the one who would take his name in vain so blatantly and in such a way, a way to be restored. A way for things to be made right. If he realizes, notice in verse 4, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt... So he's convicted about what has happened and will restore what he took. This is how restoration can be made. If he will admit his wrong and he will restore what he has taken, this is the procedure. And notice, not only is there the sacrifice and the repayment, but as we pointed out, there's also a 20% addition to what was taken that must be added, but you know what? This is a deal because, listen to Exodus 22, one. if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. A payment of or a payment of 400% on top of what was taken was required. It seems to be that the emphasis here is that if the person back in the repayment offering, if the person will voluntarily admit to his guilt and make restoration, even though he has claimed innocence, if he will come to the point and he will admit, you know what? No one can prove this. The only way that it can be proven is if I testify to the fact this is what has happened. If he will confess, then the guilt offering, the repayment offering, plus the repayment and addition was to be made. This offering is a reminder that it's, always better, it is always better to confess wrongdoing. I don't know how many times as a child, I had opportunities to confess my wrongdoing to my parents. They knew I had said something, I had done something, I had broken something, and in their kindness, they gave me an opportunity to admit to the wrong. Well, it was always better if, when the wrong happened, if I said that thing that I shouldn't have said or I broke that tool of my dad's and I went directly to them and said, look, I'm I'm sorry, this, this happened. That was the best way to address it. But if they approached me about it, I hadn't admitted it, and I admitted it, that was better, that was best, or the the first one was best. It was better to go ahead and admit it. It got bad if I just dug my heels in. Nope. No wrongdoing here. Nothing I I have no idea how that got broken. I didn't have any siblings to address or to, to blame. Maybe you should ask Barney the dog. Maybe he's the one who broke that shovel. Barney was was a schnoodle. He had no hope in breaking a shovel. It was always better to admit the wrong voluntarily. Here, the guilt offering reminds the Israelites, and it reminds us that it is always better to admit our guilt, even and especially when we are confronted with it, but even before we are confronted with it. And this offering, in these occasions, points us to opportunities. Opportunities for restoration. Vertical and horizontal opportunities. The vertical and horizontal opportunities are right there in the offering, aren't they? Notice... In chapter 5, verse 15. If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in all of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation. Chapter 6, verse 6. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram or the equivalent money for a, a ram. He shall make restitution with the Lord. That vertical... Opportunity for reconciliation. But in this offering, there is also an opportunity for horizontal reconciliation. Because not only is the Lord to be repaid for what was defrauded him in the use of his name or sin against his holy things, but there was also the opportunity to repay the priest or to repay the fellow Israelite who had been defrauded or oppressed in one way or another. There was opportunities for both vertical and horizontal reconciliation. And friends, in Jesus, in Jesus, there is opportunity for us to know both. Vertical and horizontal reconciliation. We need, we desperately need vertical restoration. As I mentioned eons ago at the beginning of my sermon, Romans chapter 6 the wages of sin is death. Our Rebellion against the commands of God incurs a debt. And that debt will be paid by death. And there are two ways that this death payment can be made. It can be made in your own eternal death, your own eternal separation from God. And on your own, That is all that awaits in front of you. The repayment of your rebellion against God. And this is me too. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He has also died. He has died to pay the debt that our sin incurred. In Isaiah chapter 53, we read about the suffering servant. In Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, looks ahead and anticipates this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. That is, when He pays the guilt offering. It's the same word. Jesus is our guilt offering. When that happens, when it happened, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand in anticipation not only of his death as our guilt offering, making payment for our sin, but in anticipation of his glorious resurrection from the dead. Jesus has made the payment for our sin. The New Testament speaks about how God addresses sin in a variety of ways. I have a number of verses here. If you want them, email me this week, and I'll be happy to give them to you. But just think about the language that the New Testament uses to describe how God addresses our sin in Jesus. He provides salvation from our sin We celebrate this at Christmas, don't we? As the angel told Joseph, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. There is salvation, rescue in Jesus. The New Testament talks about cleansing or purification that is provided in Jesus. Titus 2.14, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for His own possession. There is forgiveness in Jesus. Ephesians 1, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Colossians 1, 13-14, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There is forgiveness in Jesus. And if you don't have anything to do this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, or maybe if you do have something to do at 7 o'clock, reschedule that thing, And come be with us in the fellowship hall at 7 o'clock as we work our way through material from pursuing peace and we start thinking about forgiveness and how we extend forgiveness. One of the things that we're going to look at is forgiveness is always the canceling of a debt. It is a canceling of a payment owed. Think about Matthew 18 and that parable of the unforgiving servant this week. And this gets us close to Jesus as our guilt offering. Because did you notice in a couple of those passages that I read, the language of redemption? Titus 2.14 again. Who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Ephesians 1.7 In Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. Colossians 1.13-14 In Jesus, we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. We toss that word redemption. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What does redeem mean? It means a payment has been made. A ransom price has been paid. And friends, this is how Jesus self-understood his own death. For what did he say in Matthew twenty twenty eight? Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, the payment has been made in Jesus. Jesus, the glorious guilt offering paid to purchase our redemption. The question for you today is, do you know personally the payment that Jesus has made for sinners like you and me? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ to be your only payment for sin? Not Jesus plus, let me do X, Y, and Z, and then circle back around and start at the alphabet again and do A, B, C, D, E. Do you know the payment of Jesus by repentance and faith? I pray that you do. And if you don't, as we heard in our Scripture reading from Hebrews 4. Let today be the day of salvation for you. Cry out to Jesus. Receive the payment that He has made in the place of sinners like all of us. And if you would like to know more about that, I would love to talk to you after the service this week, how you can know this vertical reconciliation that Jesus has paid to procure. But there's not only vertical reconciliation that is pointed to in this passage. Lastly, there is horizontal reconciliation. And we have to admit that this is one that we take for granted and can be easily dismissed. Here's what I mean. In our words, in our actions, we sin against a brother or sister. We sin against. We don't live up to a commitment that we have made. We take something from our employer, maybe time or something else. Nobody else knows, but God knows. And we can think, well, we'll confess it to the Lord and move on. Friends, when we sin against one another, Jesus does not tell us to confess it to the Lord and just move on. He tells tells us to confess it to the Lord. But we also need to go and be reconciled with the one whom we have defrauded, with the one whom we have sinned against. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother jesus says this is so important that you can't continue in your genuine worship if you are not first reconciled to your brother or sister there must be horizontal restoration we see this attitude in zacchaeus don't we do you remember what zacchaeus said when the lord told him to come down zacchaeus stood and said to the lord behold lord The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, anything, I restore it fourfold. He makes repayment as an expression of owning his sin and recognizing the earthly consequences for our sin. Friends, Jesus addresses the eternal consequences for our sin, but earthly consequences can still remain and must be addressed. We cannot assume that all will be well with our brother and sister in Christ if we do not go and admit our sin to them. We could spend much more time on this. But you've heard me say this before, and you will hear me say it again. We, of all people, should be those who know the freedom to admit to one another when we have erred, when we have sinned in our relationships with one another. Why should we be the freest of all people to admit to one another that we were wrong and to seek the forgiveness of one another? Because we know the joy of freedom in Christ. Because we rest in the redemption price that Christ has paid. And we can say, because my confidence is in Jesus and not my supposed untarnished reputation, which is never untarnished to begin with. Because my confidence is in Jesus. I can admit to you, I was wrong when I said what I said. It was wrong for me to not fulfill the obligation that I told you I would fulfill. Chapter 6 of this book, Pursuing Peace, has an excellent discussion of an apology that makes a difference. How we can own our sin before one another. I commend it to you. We have extra copies of the book if you're interested. They're not out there, but see me or contact the office and we can get them to you. The bottom line is this. Friends, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, we can know the joy of vertical reconciliation with God and we, like no other community on the face of this earth, Should know the joy of horizontal reconciliation. Let us keep short accounts with God. Let us keep short accounts with one another because of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you once more this morning, Father, we thank You. We thank You for the Spirit's preservation of these words about this guilt or repayment offering that help us to see another dimension of our sin, but not only another dimension of our sin, but help us to see with greater clarity what You have provided and done in Christ. That far supersedes any guilt offering of ram or sanctuary shekels that was offered in Old Testament Israel. Father, we thank You for the redemption that Christ has purchased by the sacrifice of His blood. Father, we thank You that because of Christ, We can know restoration and wholeness in our relationships with one another. Father, we pray that you would increasingly make us the people who with confidence in Jesus own our wrongdoings, admit our wrongdoings against one another to one another so that together we might with one voice glorify the Lord Jesus who has given himself so that we might be reconciled to you and so that we might be reconciled to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.